0: Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension coming at you from Macomb, Illinois, and it is turning to fall, folks. I'm so excited. Ate lunch outside today. It was breezy, but delightful. Uh, Had some, oh, just like a delicious tomato sandwich, like fresh tomato. Oh, it was great. And we have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with Eliana Brown and Lane Kenoki. We're going to be talking about rain gardens and how you can do this yourself and what they're doing on campus. It's, it's, It is going to be a jam-packed show, uh, so we got to dive into it, but I cannot do this by myself. I am joined, as always, with our co-host every single week, uh, local foods educator, Katie Parker. Hi, Katie.
1: Hey, Chris. How's it going?
0: Oh, I'm living the dream here in the Macomb land. How about yourself?
1: Oh, of course. How was Farm Progress show last week?
0: Uh, It uh, it was fantastic. Uh, I got to hang out with my buddy, Ken. Um, and we, we actually got to showcase some, some rain garden or sorry, some pollinator garden plants, uh, that actually were designed by the guests that we have on today. Uh, and I got this, this really cool hat.
1: Oh, awesome. I saw I pictures the... and it looked yep. really cool
0: too. Uh, I hope Zoom doesn't like it. it's going to blur it out, but, uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I got Ken a hat too, but I don't know if, if he'll wear it. But yeah. <laughs> so, but someone who I know's <laughs> uh, probably uh, will uh, not, not be wearing that hat. Um, uh, you'll have to tell us why Ken uh, is Ken Johnson, Horticulture Educator, Jacksonville. Hi, Ken. I probably will not be wearing it because I have an abnormally large head. It gets bigger. And it does not. It big. makes <laughs> it gets
2: bigger. I can make it really I'll, big. I'll give it to my kids. <laughs> so they can
1: wear it. Ken, you <laughs> and my boyfriend both. <laughs> we get so many free
0: hats and he can't wear a single one
1: of them i just didn't want to say
0: you had a big head uh so ken texted katie and me like late what was it two nights ago like it was it was midnight or something (laughs) yeah um and you were having fun with a uh what was it ken tell the folks what what you're you're texting us (laughs) so i had a, a black light flashlight I was up on my mom's house, and
2: she had some tomatoes that were missing leaves. So we took a black light out, and we we're looking for uh, hornworm caterpillars. And we found quite a few. And the cool thing about them is they fluoresce under a black light, so the leaves kind of turn a purplish, blackish color, and the caterpillars are kind of a blue green. So you have that black light, you can see them pretty easily. So collected, I think about ten of them. Brought them home, going to cook them up, see what they taste like, and report back next week.
0: Well, that is that was fun to get that, yeah. And then I'll I'll share my tomatoes. So remember the oh this darn blur, the WIU tomatoes. Uh, we're doing the purple and gold tomatoes. Well, this is Yellow Dragon. Just pulled this off the vine today, so it's got the purple top, and then the kind of that yellow gold uh, body for the most part, pretty cool. And then this is uh, Brad's Atomic Grape still kind of got that purple gold color so we we have several other cultivars that will trialing and no tomato hornworms yet but i now know how to detect them yes keyword is yet yes yes and you know we'll have to we'll have, that's another thing we're going to have to try to eat in addition to cicadas uh, is the tomato hornworm They so it tastes like tomatoes we're just going to have a whole show on eating insects. Yes. Yes. We can invite our current day guests back for that one. <laughs> 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 and, and speaking of our topic today, we're going to be talking about rain gardens um, and, and a very specific rain garden. And then we're going to talk about, you know, doing this in our own backyard. And so let's introduce our guests for today. So we're joined by Eliana Brown and Lane Kenoki. Um, so Eliana, uh, and, and it will start with you. Could you, Tell me your, your actual title because you're doing a lot of stuff you and Lane. So who what do you what are you titled?
3: These days? Uh, sure. And we and we have a third team member too, Kate Gardner, mm-hmm. who also works with this. But my title is Extension Water Quality Specialist.
0: Okay, and then Lane, how about yourself? Uh,
4: I am an Extension Outreach Associate. Excellent, excellent. That's, that's my title.
0: Yes, and it, I. I've been having fun with titles and I'm trying to stretch mine out as long as possible these days. So, and then people don't want to talk to me after that. That's great. So, (laughs) Um, uh, so today we are going to talk about a specific rain garden, the red oak rain garden, which, which you both have, uh, I would say have turned the corner. You've turned it around. You've you've built it into something grand. Um, uh, So the red oak rain garden and at, you, you, you guys, you abbreviated R-O-R-G, and in my brain, I, I read RORG. I don't know if you both do that too, but I do. We, we love Absolutely. it. When we
4: call Call it RORG, yeah. RORG. Yes. That's
0: very orcish, yes, yes. yes.
4: RORG. Um,
0: so Eliana, in your, your day-to-day job, you are tackling stormwater issues regionally, uh, throughout the state, throughout the Midwest. Uh, you're as I call it saving the world um, so as you're saving the world uh, this was a couple of years ago you decide hey let's let's put a rain garden on campus can you can you tell me why you went from like looking at regional scale problems and now looking at something specific why why on campus and why rain garden
3: oh that's a great question Chris so um you know, the university campus, of course, is built between the great cities of Champaign and Urbana. And if you look back in history before the university was here, there are accounts of trade that would happen between the two cities, like by carriage, but they had to put down these wood planks between the cities, there wasn't city there, but they had to do that so because it was so wet that the carriages would just sink. Uh, and so uh, what we have done, of course, is we have put the university in, and lots of drainage has happened. And with that drainage, with all of these tiles that go in and all of the roofs, you, have, uh, you can have some degradation to water quality. Of course, our sewers can become undersized as time goes by and we have a lot more impervious surface, a lot more runoff, more rain. So what we are doing with a rain garden is taking that original land that original kind of, of uh, the way that it was and working with it. So we're mimicking the natural processes that were here before and you're kind of limiting it right to where the the water can stand and you are increasing the infiltration of the soil so that will drain out and, and and dry up before mosquitoes can hatch so you know we're not kind of creating that thing but what we're doing is taking it back utilizing the land and utilizing it intelligently to work with it
0: yeah so the water you're you're not treating it as necessarily uh say a nuisance you're trying to utilize it perhaps again as a resource mm-hmm. um, yeah, so very cool.
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. In this particular rain garden, uh, it, the, you know, there, there are two iterations of it. So there was a, a the original rain garden was built in 2006. Started out in 2005, uh, and I was part of that as well. And at that time, there was this huge water problem that was there. Like I was mentioning, how uh, if you can imagine, you know, this would have been one of those places where they'd have to put the planks down because there was a lot of water every time it rained. Would go across the sidewalk. So the original function of the rain garden was to uh, drain water away from the sidewalk and also away from that red oak. Uh, as you all know, red oaks don't like to have red uh, don't like to have wet feet. And so, uh, so the, the the water was um, trained in such a way to take it closer to that sycamore tree, which can tolerate water so much better.
1: So, Eliana, at what point did you decide to bring Lane into working on ROARG?
3: Well, so um, in about 2016, I think, um, after I taught one of the Master Naturalist classes, I met uh, Karen Folk. Who uh, who is now our lead master naturalist and we um, she expressed an interest in renovating the garden. The garden by that point um, had not re- had hadn't received the attention that it really needed, and so it was overgrown. There were there were maintenance issues with it, um, and with Karen's interest and with uh, some other interest on campus, I decided to to take on the renovation project. Now, around that time, maybe a little later than that, uh, maybe a year or so later, uh, I um, was invited to Katie Krzyzewska's class that Lane happened to be taking, uh, to do a modified rainscaping program for their class. And this very nice student came um, afterwards to, uh, to set aside some time to, to talk to me about rain gardens. Uh, and that is how I really had my first conversation with Lane. About five minutes into the conversation, I offered him a job. Um, so that's really that's like as quick as, as, as that was, he was so impressive. Uh, and originally the job was to uh, develop these brochures that, uh, that, you know, a lot of people really, really love. Um, so he Lane was originally hired to, um, to create the designs for the brochures and really develop them. Um, a little while later, the, one of the original students that I was working with uh, graduated, and so uh, I needed to, um, to have a, a student designer work on the garden, and I asked Lane if he would do it, and thank goodness he said yes.
4: Here I am, uh, four years later.
3: <laughs> <laughs> we got
2: him.
4: <laughs> and the rest is history.
2: So Elaine, when you first kind of heard about this project, what were your feelings about creating a or designing a, a rain garden on campus? Uh,
4: so I'll be I'll be completely honest. Uh, I was a little bit nervous. Um, as uh, as Eliana said, I was still uh, a student uh, in landscape architecture um, when the redesign was being planned, and uh, and eventually when I was brought onto the design team. So. Um, I knew the Red Oak Rain Garden as its pre-renovation self. Um, I do remember that it was still functioning as a rain garden, uh, but the few plants that were left from that original 2006 planting um, had had gone pretty wild. Um, Mm -hmm. And and really what was left was was silted in rock and and weeds. Um, And campus campus is no small place uh, and the garden is in a very highly visible location. Uh, you know, I think we have something like 52,000 students on campus. Um, so my biggest fear was was that we were going to create something um, that would be uh, doomed to repeat um, uh, that that 2006 uh, the the plants from from that. Um, so I was that was I was very nervous about that. But my fears were really lessened when uh, Eliana convinced me that. We had all of these amazing lessons learned um, from the original garden. Um, and all of those lessons would inform the new design of the garden uh, and to, to help it um, to help us prepare it for the future. Um, and, uh, you know, here we are. Uh, we are what, two full years since the renovation, and it's doing very well since. Um, you know, so so we really just wanted to make sure mm. that the garden would perform its stormwater functions well, but but also be this beautiful spot on campus where um, you know all the students, the faculty, community members can uh, can appreciate uh, and engage with um, you know the garden as they pass by. Well thank
3: but, thank you for believing me.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for convincing me. You absolutely it was. absolutely right.
0: <laughs> it sounds like a field of dreams scenario. If you build it, they will come. And I think you guys have done that. Yes. And, yeah. and now the Yankees. Pollinators too, Chris. Up. Right. Pollinators are there. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. I Lane, you're you're talking about the kind of that initial feeling. So walk us through the design process and, and you know, tell us a little bit about where you started in, in terms of like the layout and who inspired you for, for what eventually came to be?
4: Sure. Um, So uh, as I mentioned, my background is in landscape architecture. Um, You know, we, we dabbled a bit in planting design uh, back when I was a student, but that's always really been um, a focus of mine. Uh, I have a big passion for native plants um, and and so to have the opportunity to work with a rain garden that's 10,000 square feet on campus and to get to work with um, with all of these amazing native plants um, was was really uh, an exciting prospect for me. Um, I draw a lot of inspiration off of amazing designers like Pete Aldiff, um, Roy Diblick. Uh, Thomas Rainer and Claudia West, who are the authors of this amazing book called Planting in a Post-Wild World, um, which I'll probably be talking about at some point uh, in this podcast. But uh, I actually got to, to meet Thomas um, with, with Eliana uh, a couple of years ago. I actually get to have some, some conversation with him about this garden in particular, which was really amazing. But, uh, you know, the, the way that these designers work with plants uh, and and the textures and the color and the seasonality of you know so many incredible plant species, um, you know, I draw a lot of inspiration from from massing and and uh, designing with drifts of color and texture, um, you know, and I, I try to uh, to channel some of their energy into the designs that I do, uh, not only with the Red Oak Rain Garden but with other work that I do as well. Um, you know, and then having to combine that kind of, of design with uh, specifically native species, um, I had a goal to have uh, about ninety five percent of the species at the at the rain garden be uh, straight native species. Uh, I didn't work with very many ours uh, or uh, or non native plants. There are some, but. Uh, you know that was a that was a goal of mine was to do uh, a lot of native species and and show people that it can be done um, with with straight Illinois uh, native species. On top of that complexity, we have a rain garden where we've got at the top of the rain garden your dry conditions, at the bottom of your rain garden you've got the wet conditions and everything in between. And then add on that complexity the fact that we have full sun areas and full shade areas with both dry and wet conditions in those locations as well. So we almost have like six biomes of sorts um, within the garden. Uh, And so narrowing down that native plant selection and uh, trying to uh, develop the masses of color and texture through there was a challenge, but uh, uh, I think it turned out pretty well. Um, And, you know, I, I hope that Thomas Rayner would be proud. <laughs> I'm. Oh, of course, he is. <laughs> so, Lane,
0: uh, curious um, from a from a design perspective, and knowing that very often uh, lots of pieces of trash paper wind up where the, the appropriately called the trash can. Um, just so, like people realize, and, and maybe your first one was perfect and was spot on, but when you're going through a design process. Uh, does it help you trying like, like I'm gonna draw out a plan like this, but it might not look the same. Did it, does your plan look the same as when you originally began or did, has it evolved
4: and changed? Is it still evolving? That's that's a fantastic question. Um, it's uh, the, the current iteration of the garden does not look like the original um, plan that we put together for the renovation in 2019. In 2019, um, in 2019 I don't remember the exact number of species that we had specced, but it was something like um, 80, I think, species that we wanted to use. And I want to uh, to sort of explain that number. You know, we do have those six quote unquote biome conditions within the garden. So we do have to have a little bit more of a varied um, plant selection than you'd have in most um, more simple gardens. Um, but 80 species was, um, was a lot. Um, Looking at that plan today, um, you know, I look back at that and and I recognize that uh, you know there might have been specific areas of that design that might have looked messy um, because there's just a bit too much going on. Um, and then you know we rely on volunteers to uh, to do a lot of the maintenance work, the care work at the garden, and uh, and getting people to recognize with uh, and and work with. 80 species of native plants um, that they might not be familiar with, um, you know that that could have been a real issue. Um, so in uh, in the the iterations of design that came after that, first, you know, we started to hone in on the species that we wanted to work with, um, and I think we uh, we narrowed it down to 54 instead of 80. Uh, so it's still a lot of species, but uh, 54 is more manageable than 80. Um, and, uh, and so far, it's gone very well. Um, we're actually developing a, a field guide for our volunteers to be able to take out into the garden with them and to, uh, to know and, and understand how to work with um, the 54 species that we do have. Uh, I also uh, appreciate uh, that you asked the question of um, you know, whether the garden is still evolving. Um, it is uh, in, in short. Um, And it's it's evolving in multiple ways. Um, We're expanding the garden this year, which um, I think uh, Eliana and I will talk about uh, later on. But uh, uh, we also have the idea of of adaptive maintenance going forward. So um, if there is a specific species that does not do well in the garden for whatever reason, whether it's cultural or it's, um, it's difficult for people to work with, or it just gets out of hand, um, you know, that's, a, that's something that we fully anticipate will come in and, and edit down the road, um, whether that is by simply removing the species in question and replacing it with something else, or developing maintenance practices to um, uh, mitigate the, the bad qualities that, that we're seeing from a specific species.
3: I'm going to jump in and add on that, add to that as well. Um, Our funding for the renovation was from the Student Sustainability Committee. And with student designers, part of the uh, process of that is making sure that you have professional review. And so um, with the the review that we got from uh, Jack Pizzo, uh, the Pizzo group, he's the one that pointed out that we had too many species Mm -hmm. and uh, really needed to limit it. I think he wanted it. Even limited further, but it was just not going to to uh, to go. Uh, and he and he was right. Um, well, he he was right that. Well, I guess maybe we were right. Fifty, however, we ended up, I think, was about the right number, uh, and that was really part of designing with maintenance in mind, mm-hmm. uh, so that the the our volunteers would be able to uh, to recognize the the plants. Um, so it it was um, I. I hope Lane that it helped make uh, your design process and hone it, make it make it more refined. And with that limit, you had to be really selective of what plants went in. And uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about um, doing this in your own backyard. And that's one one lesson that I think that we can all have for our gardens is just to be really selective of the plants that make it make it into the design.
4: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Can you guys tell us a little bit about um, how it was getting campus to approve the red oak green garden on campus and then also um, were they involved in the design of it Um, did they have say in and what you guys did.
3: Yeah, um, I'll take that one. So, uh, because the garden had there had been an iteration of the garden from before, we were grandfathered in. We did not have to get brand new approval for uh, for rain garden on campus. Um, we uh, that said, I, I I I hope at this point that that what that what we have done is really. Um, made it easier for more rain gardens to happen on campus. We are really lucky. Lane and I get to uh, work with Brent Lewis, who is the campus landscape architect. Whenever we are we're we're, we're even coming up with new ideas or thinking about doing anything differently, uh, we bring Brent in immediately to to get his his thoughts on what we're doing. He's part of the campus architectural review committee, so um, so that. Um, that that's the formal process, but he always gives us a heads up on, uh, on what he thinks will, will be a go and what is not a go. And that includes, you know, beyond the planting design, there was the engineering design, the design of the bridge, for example, too. Those are our other things that we needed to work with them. Um, Brent is not formally part of our team, but I think we, Lane and I have now worked with him so much that we think of him as family, so uh, which is great, we're, uh, we're really lucky to be able to work with them.
2: All right, so you've mentioned that uh, the Red Oak, Grain, Red Oak Grain Garden has two trees, two large trees near it, um, so when it came to kind of constructing the garden, were you doing any kind of earthwork, and did you have to take any kind of precautions uh, working around those trees when installing the garden?
3: How about I take first part, and then Lane, maybe you can you can you can jump in. Sure. Um, so the orig- during the original build, um, we worked with um, the Urbana arborist, uh, the city of Urbana arborist, and so the original build was we didn't actually that one was not near the red oak at all. So it was it was uh, the sycamore. We used a um, an air knife in order to be able to uh, to, to to make that excavation happen. Um, fast forward to 2019, and there wasn't a whole lot of reshaping that needed to be done around the sycamore, but the the red oak was a different story. And so, um, happily, we uh, we know Ryan Pankow, and uh, um, and he had connections with his former employer at Arbor Smith, um, and Greg Smith, uh, and Ryan came and did. Um, a whole um, tree map or a root map, rather. Uh, they, they mapped out all of the roots of that red oak, which then um, we actually had to change uh, some of the, the a little bit of the flow pattern of the garden, so the excavation was altered um, so that we could minimize any damage to uh, to the red oak um, on our portion of the garden that does not have, um, doesn't have trees. We were able to do some additional digging and put in an engineered soil. Could not, of course, do that on the tree side. And, uh, but what we were able to do was an application of mycorrhizal inoculant, I'm saying we, it was, Lane, I think you were the one who did that application. So you did that over (laughs) the entire garden, which I think, I understand can be helpful for the tree and certainly help the infiltration. Um, Lane, anything you wanna add?
4: Uh, yeah, I was, I was just gonna mention, um, uh, Eliana said something about a bridge uh, being at the garden. Um, part of the reason why we have that bridge um, and not say a sidewalk um, is because uh, by, if we had installed a sidewalk, um, it would have basically gone over the tree roots um, and, and all of that additional soil plus the concrete um, on top of roots like that is, is, um, is, is a bad deal. Um, and I mean, what to, what's not to love about a boardwalk bridge? Um, and, uh, and we were able to minimize the amount of damage uh, that would be done to the tree roots um, you know, by having the bridge go over all of them instead of um, you know, laying on top of them like a sidewalk would.
3: I give a shout out to our our uh, professional engineer Tony Heath, who uh, who's was part of our team. But that was Tony's Tony's suggestion, which was a fantastic one, and we were able to work with uh, a structural engineering professor, Bill Gamble, to uh, help make that a reality.
4: Yeah, yeah, and and Shannon Tucker too. Um, oh,
3: Shannon, absolutely. Did, did Thank lot. you for mentioning
4: did Shannon. A lot with us um, over the last couple of months to get that built. So. Yeah, she's been uh, our construction manager. And while we're giving the shout outs, uh, how about All- Allerton Park? Uh, yes! For, for their uh, uh, their gift of the uh, sustainably sourced uh, black locust lumber mm-hmm. that, uh, that they provided for the construction of the bridge. Um, it's really beautiful. And we've gotten a lot of amazing compliments uh, about it since, not to mention the fact that there are mm-hmm. literally thousands of people that walk over it every day now, so.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um... The, the, the bridge and much of the expansion was uh, funded by the Illinois Clean Energy Community Foundation. So I'll just, I'll, I'll we'll end. But there's a lot of people we could give additional shout outs to because right. this is, this is, it is, it's, it's a village, right? <laughs> um, uh, but, um, but just really grateful for all of the, the, the donors and supporters.
0: Mm-hmm. So, kind of while we're, we're talking about the, the bridge, and I know this is fairly new to the garden. Um, Where can folks go find pictures of this stuff and and get updates of the Red Oak Rain Garden?
3: Lane, you wanna give them the the URL?
4: Sure. Uh, So we have a website, uh, www.redoakraingarden.org. And then we are on basically all of the social media platforms, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Our handle is at rain garden UIUC. Uh, But if you just search for Red Oak Rain Garden, uh, I'm sure you will find us.
3: The Red Oak Rain Garden is very busy on social media. uh, Sometimes it's the trees that that are tweeting. Mm-hmm. um sometimes it's the sunny cell sometimes I think it's the
4: pollinators uh, yeah they're, yeah they're, it's pretty sometimes accurate. it's me if there's some <laughs> some really cool <laughs> native plant out there and I'm like you know what I just got to give my nerdy explanation of why this is such a cool plant yeah. um uh, you know so, sometimes I might sneak in there with with the pollinators but usually usually the the tweets are from the garden itself
3: yeah 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 if there are any any um dorky 80s references it might be me but
4: um Who, who's the sassy
0: person there sometimes we're all the sassy. Everyone. But that
3: started with kate gardner kate gardner uh was the original sassy rain garden <laughs> she really laid yeah. the template for the voice of the rain garden yeah it's um <laughs> It, you know, um, Ken, Katie, and Chris, if you ever want to do a rain garden social media takeover, you can be sassy too. We would we would love that.
2: <laughs>
3: Wendy, you as well.
0: Oh, that sounds like fun.
3: Yeah, right, right?
0: I can do yeah. it. Start yelling at students, stop spitting your gum in me. Knock it off. Hey, hey do we, we do like have uh, Get off my
3: lawn. Any- I mean, get off my rain garden. <laughs> Yeah, Lane, what <laughs> Lane, what did you say?
4: Oh, I was just going to mention that uh, that facilities and services did get us a, a trash can and a recycle bin. Yes. So we don't have yes. quite as much of an issue with trash as we did before, which is really nice. Um,
3: yeah, it's a really yeah. those are really nice looking trash cans too. I know that's kind of a
4: funny I'll thing to say that they are. Probably won't make it into the podcast, but uh, I really have noticed um, a huge decrease <laughs> in the amount of trash that we've had in the garden since those trash cans got put in. So.
3: I really hope that does make it into
4: the podcast. We <laughs> Thank you for not littering.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's actually doing landscape maintenance uh, a long time ago. You just, you lift up a plant and there's just a garbage can worth of stuff. And it's so, it's frustrating, but it's just like, ah. Just Eliana, trash.
4: Should, I, should I tell them? Um... No. <laughs> oh, no.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> this is, we
0: have the, also the good growing after dark. So
4: (laughs) well, see, in that in that version, it might be appropriate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so so I do have a question, Um, Lane, you mentioned 10,000 square foot rain garden. That is a large footprint. And the style that you mentioned, Pete and Roy, uh, Claudia, Thomas, they plant lots of plants in small spaces. So tell me about your source material. You mentioned native plants but what did you order? And then if and I've seen it, but, and, you know, and listeners who are listening, that may be thinking like, well, that's a lot of plants. How do you get them all on the ground? Could you explain a bit about your source material and then how you got all that stuff in the ground?
4: Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of, of native plants. Um, I think in the, the 2019 uh, renovation, we brought in about 9,000 plants. Um, they came from uh uh, Piso native plant nursery, uh, Midwest ground covers, Possibility Place, and uh, North Creek nurseries uh, from, from Pennsylvania. Uh, so we had, we had plants brought in from all over the place um, to, to go into the garden. Um, of those 9,000, something like 5,000 were, uh, were ground cover species, uh, specifically some, some sedges, uh, low growing grasses, um we also had a couple of, of uh, more showy uh, flowering ground cover types um that that went into the garden um we got quite a few shrubs from possibility place um uh you know in our in our shady conditions we've got a uh, a decent number of of shade loving shrubs out there uh you know we've got our winter berries and spice bush um spice bush i think is probably one of my favorites but uh the all-time favorite red oak grain garden plant is red chokeberry. Um, and I think I think I talked about that the last time that I was here, but uh, so, so circle circle back to, to that one when you've got a chance, but red chokeberry is a great plant. Um, so yeah, that, that was a lot of, of native species that we brought in um, for that renovation last fall. So fall of 2020, we brought in even more native plants uh, I think it was something like thirty-two hundred additional plants that we brought in. Um, we did a lot of Virginia bluebells, uh, which had had always sort of been a goal of ours, um, and then we paired them with uh, a tulip from Brenton and Becky's called Princess Irene, yeah. and um, it is it is orange. Uh, so and it it's like the true Illini orange um, as well. So. We've got yeah, so Eliana I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's
3: to, good, the, cute. to the
4: orange and blue. Um, so we brought in 2,500 of those Princess Irene tulips to bloom with uh, with our several hundred um, uh, Virginia bluebells. And um, you know the the landscape designer in me that graduated from from landscape architecture might have been screaming a little bit uh, about doing something that was orange and blue on an orange and blue campus, but uh it was it 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 really was fantastic um I think I think that's our new staple um floral display uh it was you know in in our first year uh the number of people that came out to to photograph our orange and blue was was pretty cool um and that was before the bridge was there so the garden wasn't even really done yet and uh and people were just flocking to to see it uh, this year, we are uh, bringing in more plants. <laughs> um, I think this is probably gonna be the last big expansion that we do at the garden, at least for, for a long time. Um, these plants are gonna be coming from Country Arbors um, in, in Urbana, and uh, and this time, we are not just doing uh, native plants, we're also bringing in a couple of, of native ours. Um, You know, there, there are a couple that I've been wanting to try out, and. Uh, and this fall's installation um, is is really going to create uh, a gateway into the garden from from the street. Um, if you've been to the garden, you know that it's uh, that it's sort of off the street a ways. Uh, it's not the showiest from from uh, you know where you're driving. Um, but with uh, with the installation this fall, um, you're you're going to see you're going to see the garden, um, and we're we're really excited about that.
3: The uh, orange tulips were spectacular, and yeah. we want to give um, Martha Smith, retired now, Port educator Re- Martha Smith, a shout out. She said that those that uh, Princess Irene was that quintessential U of I orange color, and she was right. Um, I also want to say something about the the number of ground cover. That was a huge takeaway for me and something that I really learned from um, the, the planting in a post-wild world. Uh, for a non-designer who, you know, has a yard and wants it to be pretty and, uh, and manageable and wants to use native plants, uh, having that 75% ground cover is uh, so key. I, I kind of liken it to in my, my clothing wardrobe. It's like, I will pro- I have a lot of jeans and a lot of black pants. And that's kind of like my ground cover, right? It's like it's there is the background for other kind of showier, showier things. And um, when you're at the the native plant nursery or the nursery or whatever, just selecting plants, it's easy to want to gravitate to the really showy things. But it's those um, ground covers that um, give you that um that really good design for a non-designer really helpful laying yeah. out that stuff
4: yeah i mean just just the number of inputs um that that are reduced by having um you know this dense ground cover is is remarkable um, and we've we've gotten to to live that now with the red oak grain garden um you know developing that that green mulch of sorts you know you're you're not bringing in mulch um to, to cover the ground every year um, or, you know, if you're using a dyed mulch uh, on top of that, you know, we, we just always have this, this uh, dense mat of green across the whole garden that's functioning, not just in that way, but, you know, also for overwintering pollinators and, and all of that sort of ecologic side of things. And then, you know, the fact that they're helping to shade out the, the weeds that are trying to grow up through, um, through the garden um, is, is helping us to reduce the, the, uh, the care um, that has to go into the garden. It doesn't mean that there is no care because there's definitely still a lot, but um, having that, uh, that weed suppression is really, really fantastic. And installing all of that um, was, was definitely a, a task. Um, I don't remember, I, I was keeping track of the number of holes that I drilled myself um, it was many
3: 7,312.
4: It was something like that. Wow. It, yes. was, it was many thousand um, that, that I uh, had drilled, um, you know, uh, along with uh, this incredible team that, that we also had out there. There's more thank yous to be had in there. But, um, um, you know, that's continuing this year. Uh, basically, my method um, is to uh, to go out there uh, and grid off the garden. Uh, I think I was using 20 foot by 20 foot squares. Um, you know, you can you can definitely scale that down for smaller residential um, sized gardens. But I was I went out there with uh, with some marking paint and with uh, with some string lines and sticks, and I just I just made a 20 foot by 20 foot square. I translated what I had drawn on paper, you know, onto the surface of the garden. Um, and uh, you know, so I draw out the circles where uh, where a specific plant species would go, and then I started drilling holes. Uh, I used uh, uh, a three a three or a three and a half inch. I can't remember the exact size uh, auger bit for uh, a drill. Um, and uh, I think it was three and a half. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and uh, and yeah, I just just started drilling holes for all of those. Uh, I. Those mostly f- were for the uh, for the ground cover species because there were just so many of them um typically in uh, landscape design, you would you would go for a more naturalistic look, you know where you'd have sort of randomized locations of all of those typically they uh, the ones that we did were about fifteen inches on center um, you know across the ten thousand square feet. that's why we get the the high numbers, right um but in our case, knowing that uh, that it is such a large space that is uh, heavily reliant on on our volunteers and their knowledge of the plant species, um, we did uh, the the plants basically in rows, um, so a very gridded pattern um, of of ground covers. And what that did um, was uh, it it allowed our volunteers to uh, to learn the plants that were out there, to experience them, um, you know, one-on-one in their first few seasons. Uh, and then when a plant would pop up outside of that grid, then it would be obvious that that one doesn't belong there. That's a weed. That one needs to be removed. Um, and it, it worked out really well. Uh, the first two years, uh, you know, that was the case. And, and now we're sort of to the point where those ground covers are really starting to grow together. So um, that, that heavily gridded look um, is starting to disappear, which I think is probably a good thing. Although there's something to be said about having nice gridded rows. They kind of look like an agricultural field. <laughs> we're here in Champagne, where we're surrounded by corn and soybeans. So you know, may, maybe somebody might have been able to make an argument that I did that intentionally. Um, I, I, I did not, but uh, I'm glad that somebody uh, found, uh, found the joy in that. And that somebody I think was Eliana. So you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm completely glad that <laughs> um, uh, But yeah, so so a lot of the ground covers that we put in were small. Um, they were uh, they were plugs. Uh, so you know, three three inch plants for the most part. Um, and then uh, we came in with uh, with some of our seasonal plants. Um, which are, you know, like your cone flowers or, or your black-eyed Susans, something like that. We would come in with slightly larger sizes for that, you know, quart up to gallon size. And then our, our structural plants, like a lot of our shrubs, um, most, most of those came in uh, five-gallon buckets. Um, so the the whole size is definitely varied, but, um, you know, you just you just sort of adapt and, and work with what you've got.
0: And for establishment, did you get Good success with plugging in those ground covers. Um, and and you, had, you had mentioned the ground covers are there to kind of take the place of mulch, but did you have to use mulch there in the beginning?
4: Great question. Uh, yes, we, we had mulch down in the beginning. We put the mulch down first um, because we were going in with so many plants. Uh, it just was not going to be feasible to try to you know go out there with buckets or with wheelbarrows and try to put mulch in between every single one. Um, so we put the mulch down first. I think our goal was to have uh, between two and three inches of mulch across the, the whole garden. We just used a, a shredded hardwood, um, and uh, um, we haven't really had to do much mulch work since then. Um, the, the ground covers have done very well. Uh, we installed the plants in, in fall of 2019 uh we did have um a few plants that uh that had issues with uh frost heave um but uh but really we didn't have a big issue with that and i think um when i did inventory last spring uh i counted the number of of plants that we lost and it was only something like 20 i remember nine
0: thousand um,
4: that we put in it Brent was, Lewis
3: was really, really yeah. impressed by the number.
4: Typically, you, uh, I think you're supposed to expect something like a, uh, an 8% dieback or, or mm-hmm. something like that with an installation similar to what we did, and uh, I think that we were at like less than 1% of, yeah. of deaths, so um, really, uh, we had very good uh, luck with and success. I don't know if I want to call it luck because, I mean, it was all intentional, but... Um, It just, it established itself very, very well.
3: It was all good, and we were really glad it did, because as Lane mentioned, it was established in the fall of 2019. And in the spring of 2020, when we were really expecting um, all of our volunteers to come out and do our first weeding, um, the coronavirus had other plans for us. So uh, spring of 2020, we, um, we, it was just such a really fortunate thing that so many plants did well to be able to shade out uh, as many weeds as possible. Um, the the um, the mulch down first, uh, and the kind of mulch we used is all those are that that was a method indicated by the uh, rainscaping training program, uh, and so many of the things that that we learned from the rainscaping program and from some of our advisors like Jack Pizzo have gone into the garden, and as we are. Um, gearing up to do rainscaping programs throughout the state, some of the things that the information is going to go the other way. Um, The Red Oak Rain Garden will serve as a design inspiration, and uh, the lessons learned from the garden will go on to inform some of the gardens that happen as part of that education program
4: there's our segue to rainscaping
3: yeah <laughs> <laughs> if that's, if that's okay <laughs> it was pretty fly, wasn't it
4: <laughs> i was like I, well. s- I see what you're doing <laughs>
0: <laughs> well i yes in in light of that talking about the rainscaping program eliana um tell tell us a little bit more about what in the world is this thing
3: <laughs> well i'm so glad you asked um, so, the uh, the rainscaping education program is based on a program at Purdue. It's a two-day or four-evening course that includes a hand-on demonstration rain garden build. Um, it the, the course itself covers why rain gardens are important, how to site and size them properly, how to design the plants, and how to maintain them. Um, it's not a beginner course. One thing I do want to mention, it is a course that is intended for people with baseline knowledge, like Master Gardeners and Master Naturalists. Um, the Master Gardeners and Master Naturalists uh, are um, with that baseline knowledge, for us at the Red Oak Rain Garden, those are our major volunteers, the Champaign County Master Gardeners and East Central Illinois Master Naturalists. So uh, we there is um, this fall, a uh, rainscaping class that's happening in Champaign County, so we're expecting several of our volunteers to uh, to be attending. We also have an offering in Effingham County.
0: And and reach out to, I would say, if folks are interested in, in learning more about Red Oak Rain Garden, please visit the website, follow them on the social medias, uh, but, but reach out to Eliana, Lane, um, both Ken and myself, we both took the rainscaping training, and so, um, you know, we're happy to offer assistance uh, throughout the state, wherever, wherever you're located.
1: So you guys often hold some beneficial, um, activities and different, um, things for people to get involved. And this, I think just pre COVID you guys did the mulch madness, which was something that was really cool. Um, who came up with this idea and what kind of, uh, gave you that idea?
3: Well, the originator of the idea was the original sassy voice of the rain garden, Ms. Kate Gardner. Uh, And um, right before COVID, she was talking about uh, doing this kind of NCAA style influenced parody uh, for plants. Uh, And as we were working with our comm team on how that could be. Matt Wiley, the extension uh, graphic designer came up with the name Mulch Madness, which was s- just brilliant, we think. Uh, but then Lane, Kate and I, that was our, that was our um, lockdown activity was coming up with, uh, with the, what became Mulch Madness, um, making all of the descriptions, um, how we were gonna do it, uh, the actual um, workings of uh, of the social media uh, was based off of uh, this a museum in Indiana that did something with uh, something similar with historical um, pe- people in history. Lane, do you want to talk a little bit about all of the, like the descriptions? You were at the descriptions. I mean, I, I I know we we kind of workshopped. You had you wrote the like serious descriptions and
4: then it was okay, let's
3: let's pack some jokes in there.
4: Right. I I got to channelize my inner plant nerd. Um which really isn't <laughs> inner. inner right. Uh, I I got to channelize my my plant nerd self uh into the the so descriptions. So hidden Lane. The, the, right. The the bios for for all of the all the plant species that we worked with uh, that, that were the, the teams, um, you know, competing against each other in and, and the mulch madness competition. Um, we, we had the competition across uh, all of our social media platforms. So we, we adapted, uh, you know, the, the layout, um, the format of, of each game specifically for um, polling on, uh, on Facebook, on, on Instagram, and on Twitter. Um, and I can't remember the exact number, but uh, I mean, we reached uh, tens of thousands of people um, with with our, our 2020 competition. So, um, you know, we couldn't leave uh, the ROG fans uh, hanging for 2021. So, of course, we, we brought it back and uh, it, it'll be an annual thing um, from, from, uh, uh, from now on. Uh, we're really looking forward to it. You know, I think... Think there might be some exciting, uh, you know, variations of mulch madness coming up because, uh, you know, we'll we'll throw in a couple of new species or or we'll take some out. Um, this year, I pitted t- uh, the, the number one and number two teams from uh, from the 2020 competition. I, I pitted them against each other so only one of them could could, uh, <laughs> could move on. Uh, so that that was fun. Um, you know, I, I had some people. Uh, you know, that weren't all too happy about that, but, uh, you know, it made for an interesting competition, didn't it?
3: That's the ball know. game.
4: Yeah. <laughs> uh, this, this spring, uh, we, uh, we had an incredible student intern working with us. Uh, her name was Sandra Bierga. Um, She ran a lot of the social media uh, for Mulch Madness. So uh, big, big thanks to her. Um, for, for, running, for running all of that for us. Um, she did a, a fantastic job.
3: You know, the first in 2020, because of so many were on lockdown that we may have had a captive audience, but for 2021, it was about the same number. So we may have had repeat customers. Um, so we, we do encourage everyone to uh, check back with us in um, March of uh, 2022 um, and uh, get your brackets in
0: what species won the last two years uh and in my brain i'm thinking the, of these as, as teams so yes Here, yeah
3: we'll do the do the drum roll lane you can <laughs> you can you can tell the the winners
4: right. drum roll uh so this this year's the the 2021 mulch madness champion was virginia bluebells it was the newcomer mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. i think I cinderellas might have been mm-hmm. right i think there might have been uh you know a little bit of bias because the bluebells are the first thing to bloom in the year and this is the first year we had them in the garden um, and they were beautiful right at the time when they were competing (laughs) for mulch madness so uh we'll we'll see uh i think it's a great choice though uh the uh the first uh, champion the 2020 champion um was uh a butterfly weed asclepius tuberosa um also, could be uh, biased because it is orange on the University of Illinois campus, and that's the color to be. Um, so, uh, so those those are our two champions so far. Um, I I for one um, am, am hoping for nodding Onion, Allium sardnun next next year, but uh, you know uh, your, your votes will will, uh, will tell.
3: My money's always on Purple Coneflower. I, yeah. I don't think you can count that team out. It's a, uh, you know, I mean, it's a winner in every garden,
4: in every playing field. It's, it's a perennial favorite. Mm. Ooh. Ouch. I stole that from Eliana. Eliana gave me that one. <laughs> when we were
3: lockdown down workshopping, uh,
4: yeah.
0: So could Matt Wiley get you guys in like a studio and do kind of like a sports center themed uh, like what you just did would be fantastic. <laughs> like your picks. Uh, yeah, yeah, That's it needs, such to, happen. It yeah, needs to happen. That's a great
4: idea. play by play. <laughs> I just need a green
0: screen behind you, <laughs> yeah.
4: it'll be great. <gasps> That's a fantastic idea. I can't. Yeah, I can't wait. That that's that is so good. March twenty twenty two can't get here soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably oh, gonna no. have to happen in like January. So yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
4: That's a great idea. Di- yeah, Wendy wait. just typed in the chat box
0: diagram to play. You could have the rain garden on there, and you'd be like, "All right, this one's blooming right now, but watch out! Here comes this one. You go, <laughs> oh oh my my yeah, this will be fun." My mind is being blown. That's such a good idea. Mind.
3: <laughs> I, I, we may have to have some special commentators <laughs> on,
4: right? Yeah. We're going to. We'll, we'll send it over to, to Katie at the board. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that would be
0: fun. So it's the, yeah, it's
3: the kind of it's day, a, it's a any, day any any Forbes can win and any Forb could lose. Yes. No, yes. and and you do know what we call the um our our final four teams. That's when you make it to the to the final Final
4: Forbes. The final Forbes. Yep. (laughs) Yep. They they even have their own logo. Wow.
3: You might want to edit out whatever sound came out of my mouth. I don't know what it was. (laughs) (laughs) It was, I think, a combination of a laugh and a snort. I'm pretty sure.
0: Yeah, but so far there's only one edit that I've found here, and that's just to correct a name that was misspoken. So that's that's all this is all golden.
4: (laughs) Well,
0: good tape, as Katie would
2: say. You need to do one for pollinators down the road when you get tired Mm -hmm. of plants. Mm -hmm. Oh, you
3: know, that that does. Um, we could give them an update. We have, um, you. I'm not sure if you've seen this in the pictures of the garden, but uh, surrounding the garden are, I think it was, was it uh, 14 of them? 12 of them, right? The, I'm talking about the mosaics.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. Those was are cool. it 12? Yeah. 12, yeah, right, yeah right twelve original. Twelve,
3: 10, 12 10, 10. original uh, mosaics from um, that we did a partnership with the arts instructor on our neighbor Alan Hall. Uh, the instructor's name is Catherine Wiesner, and she does an amazing job with her students to um, have to design these incredible mosaics that Lane painstakingly um, installed into the decomposed granite. Well, Lane and I just had a conversation with uh, with Catherine and uh, this semester, they are gonna do another round. Her students, she and her students are gonna do another round of them.
4: Ooh. So
3: Lane prepares the, the list of um, plants. And then we also have, of the uh the wildlife that benefit from the garden. So that's also fair games. The students themselves choose from the list what the what they want to do. And then Catherine works with them on their on their design and execution. Um and uh, I know that they are, I mean I think everybody loves them, that our special fans of those mosaic are our our um youngest garden lovers. Um, Another neighbor of ours on campus is the the uh, child development lab and um, um, the teachers from the child development lab will bring the student their little students around I think they were the uh, the three year olds And so you can imagine when you're that low to the ground uh, looking down and seeing something that's just for you down there really uh, really is engaging so um Those students, we also heard, were really interested in construction. And so this spring, while the bridge was being built, they came by. every day they finally sent us a message asking us when the bridge was going to be built because the kids at some point the kids were like is it today is it today and after the bridge was built i think lane you and you pick up the story because you were there i think the first time they got to to actually walk across the bridge after it, the after we passed inspection
4: yeah it was it was incredible um, there was probably i don't know 12 15 three year olds being led by by uh, by some teachers across the bridge and the squeals and the the like joy on their faces was was incredible and then you know that was in june so um, the garden's summer blooms were you know at their peak and the garden was just beautiful beautiful and it was covered with monarchs and hummingbirds and i mean they were just everywhere so not only did they get to walk across the bridge for the first time, but they put their little hands on the rails. You know, looked over the garden, and and there's all of these all of these uh, uh, insects and and birds, uh, and just life in general flying around them. Uh, and it was, I mean, the the amazement uh, on on their faces was was really. I mean, in that moment, it was like, "This is why I do what I do." This is, <laughs> this, is <why laughs> this is why we
3: all like, do what we do. Yeah. It's um, um, yeah. It it's just t- to know that that you're influencing a next generation is incredible.
2: Absolutely. So we
3: have special thanks to uh, Kelly Harris is the, the head teacher that brought her her class out for uh, for the three year olds. Um, yeah. Um. I think in in watching them, lane, every time you tell that story, you you uh, I imagine you as a three year old. Like,
2: uh, <laughs> um, I probably would have been the one out there with the monarch
3: pants, think, running around. So <laughs> right, you were probably about that old when you when you fell in love with native plants at the
4: first time, right? Basically, I mean, there's there's a photo of me um, like rock climbing with my family, and I'm just. I, I'm staring at this black-eyed Susan that's on this wall. Like, I'm not interested in the rocks or my family. I'm interested in this plant that's right in front of mm-hmm. my face. <laughs> and
3: I know uh, there's a photo of me around that age. I. Didn't know about native plants at the time, but I fell in love with with water and creeks uh, from being taken on a creek hike by um, by a family friend. Took myself and some of my other uh, other friends my age. So, to be able for Lane and I to be able to give those kinds of experiences for the for these kids is is pretty incredible.
4: Yeah, and I mean it's still it's still great being able to give tours and and such to people you know college aged too um we hey, gave, it's never we too gave late our, <laughs> right. we gave uh i mean we've we have uh we've inspired i mean uh i'll always think about keegan out there um you know Ke- keegan worked with us on a small project and in the first like two or three weeks of, of working with us in the garden um he was like you know what i'm changing my major <laughs> and uh don't, so don't tell animal kind of, science. Right. But we got but an INRES person yeah. out, of, out of Keegan. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's it's really fun work.
3: So which is which is why why we really think that everyone should um, should consider learning about rain gardens, building rain gardens in their own backyard. Um, especially if you have kids, it's really a great way to talk about, about water and the water cycle, and then all of the, the pollinators that come to, to visit, there's so many really joyful things that can come from that, um, but, uh, so it's really um, an honor to uh, be part of rolling out the rainscaping program and to uh, be working with the Randall Grain Garden.
0: And, and we can leave links to the rainscaping and the the, the RORG website down below in the show notes.
3: Perfect.
4: Uh, do we? I realize that we're at a very long podcast. But, um, <laughs> it's like, might, it might it's like podcast the Lord of the again. Rings podcast, right? <laughs> yeah.
3: We can talk forever about this. So please cut whatever you
4: need. Right.
2: So you, you mentioned people kind of doing some of this stuff at home. Um, and so say somebody does wanna do um, some of this rainscaping or some of this kind of native plant type stuff um, at home. Uh, you both have worked on some, some guides, putting together some guides and by the way, they look awesome. I like them a lot for what it's worth. Um, on different, you know, planning with native plants. Uh, can you tell us more about uh, these guides that you've come up with?
3: The original idea for the guide was based off of my own experience of going to a native plant sale and either buying every plant in sight and never putting them in the ground, so I have this confession time, or Uh, just leaving without buying anything because I was just too overwhelmed. And a brilliant friend of mine said, you know, I want to do the right thing, but I just, you know, I don't have time to research everything. I'm not a designer. And uh, I just want someone to hand me a thing that says what to do. And I thought, you know what, that's really brilliant. Um, And working for Extension, I'm in the position to be able to make that happen. And um, as I mentioned earlier, that was around the time that uh, I met Lane and I saw some of his work at uh, a design, um, design expo and it was exactly, it was precisely what we needed. And so Lane's beautiful designs, and laying out the plants, it all kind of fell into place. I anticipated that we were going to make a rain garden brusher, probably a sun pollinator brochure, and the um, and uh, a, a few things about those particular plants. the 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 plant the native plant list was based off of the uh, Grand Prairie Friends plant sale, the, the experience that I had. But I'm going to hand it off to Lane to talk about. Um, I mean uh, the not only these, but um, the additional brochures. He's turning it into a series.
4: So uh, the, the first brochure that we really started working on was uh, a full sun rain garden. Um, the brochures that we've put out are uh, more like planting guides. Um, in fact, they even have the, the subtitle of a native planting guide for such and such condition. Um, but uh, in the rain garden one specifically, we do link to uh, uh, an Illinois Indiana Sea Grant resource that will explain some of the more engineering sides of, of rain garden design. Um, we've also put together a full sun uh, pollinator garden design. Uh, we have a guide to uh, a pretty large selection of Illinois native plants that can be used in the, the home landscape setting. And then uh, our our most recent publications has been um, what what we're calling a woodland garden series. Uh, So we take uh, shady conditions and a variety of moisture conditions, and we have a brochure that is uh, um, filled with native plants uh, and designs for each of those conditions. So there's four in that series. and then this year, we produced uh, an Illinois native spring ephemerals brochure that details some of the amazing, very early spring plants that you can include in all of these designs You know that come up, they bloom, and then they, uh, they go dormant for the summer months. Illinois has some amazing plants in that. And uh, I'll be honest, that was, uh, that was one of my favorite projects to work on because I really love Virginia bluebells. Uh, so I got to, to really feature them uh, in, in this new brochure. Some upcoming brochures that we have, um, much like what we did with the woodland uh, series, we're going to do the same with like the prairie setting, more of your sun conditions. Uh, so we're going to have four uh, different moisture conditions uh, with with the sun uh, with the sun plantings, uh, and again, those are going to utilize uh, all Illinois native plants. Um, they'll have uh, the, the same design guides. Uh, uh, all of the brochures have attribute tables, basically like um, what the plants uh, need as far as sun and moisture goes, um, the kinds of, of attractions that they that they bring with them, whether it is um, bees or butterflies, um, birds, hummingbirds. We also have drought tolerance included in these uh, brochures as well. Um, and we're also going to expand on our rain garden uh, series as well, so that we've got, you know, we've got our full sun out there now, uh, where we're going to have a shade uh, rain garden, and we're probably going to explore some options for both of those as well because rain gardens are becoming so popular. Um, people really want them and uh, you know I think it would be uh, great to have a couple of options um, for for all of those conditions for rain gardens.
3: The, the uh, red oak rain garden inspired the um... The plants that are in the brochure, so that original eighty species that um, from the from the original design is um, part of that part of the 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 that plant list, and um, the the series themselves are based off of the biomes of the Red Oak Rain Garden, and the. Um, Lane, correct me if I'm wrong, but the um, the 75% ground cover and that 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 basis of designing with maintenance in mind, that is baked into these your designs as well, right?
4: It is, yes, yep.
0: And and these resources, guys, we have plugged them several times on this podcast, and I got those those links. I got them. I just got a document. I'm just going to copy paste them down below. These are amazing resources. Eliana Lane, thank you so much for making these so that we can give these out to people across the state and well, help create habitat and make a place, make it a beautiful habitat.
3: Thank you so much for distributing them around the state. That's that's exactly what we wanted to happen. And thanks so much for um, including it in the Farm Progress show. I saw a picture. It's so It was so beautiful. You guys did a great job. It looked fantastic.
0: We will have to coordinate better next time because uh, <laughs> we were selecting plants and it's really hard to find plants that are in bloom this late in the year. And so unless you want a mum or something like that. So, right. um, but we, we got to get to a, a native plant nursery and they had some great, uh, we, we picked right from your list and we just, we organized everything. And so, yeah, we, it looked lovely. It was one of my, it was my favorite one there. So thank awesome. you so much.
4: Oh, wow. fantastic!
0: I, and thank you again, Eliana Lane for being here on the podcast today. Uh, I, I know we, we can talk we can talk all afternoon about this, but we gotta, we'll just have to save it till next time.
4: Thank you so much for, for having us on. Thank you so much. This, this
3: was really fun.
0: Well, the Good Growing Podcast is produced by Wendy Ferguson and edited by me, Chris Enroth. A thanks goes out to Ken Johnson, Katie Parker, for being our faithful co-hosts every single week. Thank you, Katie and Ken.
1: Thank you, Eliana and Lane, for joining us. And Chris and
2: Ken, it's good to see you guys again. Eliana, Lane, thank you for being on again. Uh, Katie, Chris, thank you as always. And let's do this again next week.
0: Oh, we shall do this again next week. I hope to be on vacation, but who knows what's happening from day in, day out. Uh, plans change very quickly, This it seems like, these last couple of years. So, uh, but listeners, I will thank you so much for listening. And watchers, thank you so much for watching us on YouTube. And as always, keep on growing.
4: Ken, you're muted. It doesn't say that he's, it doesn't have the...
1: It doesn't show that he's muted, though.
4: Ken, your microphone's broken. <laughs> There's your third edit, Chris.
0: There's. There it is. <laughs> Ken, I have to keep hitting the cut button here.
1: Ken is speechless.
0: (laughs) Ken is speechless.
2: (laughs) It go. Thank you, Eliana and Lane. And let's do it again next week. <laughs>
4: oh! <that's good. laughs> I was, I Thank you. Really you. Didn't, we didn't even get to talk about the full acre of Lomo that's being. Converted. I know. Got
1: oh it. Yeah. Full phone. Oh, I Forgot about that. <laughs> full acre. Oh. A full acre. It's, that's it's
3: going to be a long so. conversation. Yeah, it's, it's going to be next do door, a though. Too. It's uh, Dorner Drive retention pond. Uh, we had the.